Well, Porch Dallas, how are we doing tonight? Let's go. Well, I want to welcome you to the porch. And if you're watching with us online, welcome in all of our Porch Live locations around the nation. My name is Josiah. I want to especially, I want you to especially help me welcome our very, for the very first time, the Porch Live Atlanta and Dayton, Ohio. Let's go. Welcome. We are so glad that you're tuning in for the very first time. Well, I've been uh, in Seattle all weekend, and it has been a long day. And uh, I was there from Saturday to this morning, and I'm whipped. So I'm praying for the Holy Spirit, supernatural power, and coffee to kick in. Amen. And so uh, I was out in Seattle, and I took this epic guys trip with a, a guy in my community group and his two sons. And so from Saturday to Monday, we, we went to this kind of a sporting event, just kind of, the, if you will, to uh, a sporting event every single day. Saturday, we started out watching the number two team in the nation, the Washington Huskies. You're probably like, what? Uh, college football. Uh, but yes, they are number two right now, which is nuts, the Washington Huskies, which is an awesome experience. And then Sunday, we went to the Seattle Seahawks game. And then last night, we were at, okay, we got some Seahawks fans, some people from Seattle in the room. And then last night, we went to watch the Seattle Mariners. And, uh, and, and here's a picture of us on the screen. This is my buddy Chase and his two sons, Hudson and Jack. And, uh, and Chase reached out to me several months ago and he just said, hey man, uh, would you come on this trip with my sons and I? Because I would love for you just to be another voice in their life as I'm investing in them spiritually. And I'm like, me bro? Like, really? And uh, he's like, yes, I kind of, you know, kind of think like Godfather, you know, like I'm going to be my Godsons, that type of mentality, uh, just kind of this second, third voice. And I said, sure, let's do it. And so he invites me on this trip and he's like, dude, we're going to have fun. We're going to go to these epic sporting events. We're going to eat good food, which we did. And we're going to watch them throw the fish in the market, and which we did. And we, we stayed in this amazing hotel that overlooked the, the, the ocean, which was amazing. But, but what was more crazy about this trip is uh, waking up every day, taking his 10-year-old and 8-year-old on a journey through the Word of God and, and praying with them and talking about like real-life issues that they're struggling with and, 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 and sharing the gospel with our Uber drivers. And you're probably thinking, man, why are you sharing this thing? Because if you've been a part of the porch for any time, you, you, you've probably heard my testimony. Because me going on a trip like this, even being in community with other Christians was kind of this foreign concept that I never thought in a thousand years that I would do. Much less pour into uh, other kids with, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, be a spiritual mentor. You see, my life was, was all about the next party. Like I would go in college and I would go on these trips and they would be marked by the party and the club and, and, and hooking up with multiple women and orgies and, and, and pornography addiction for 10 years. And it would be marked by alcohol and whatever was under the sun, if it pleased me, I did it. That was my story. And, and God began to get a hold of my life at the tail end of my college career. I was playing baseball and I remember coming home from a game and, 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 and just remembering feeling empty and unsatisfied and unfulfilled. And I try to share this story as much as I can because it's not a story about me, it's a story about how God's grace swooped into my life, intersected all of those different sins 
the pride in my heart that said, God, I got this. I don't need you. I can live life apart from you. I don't need to be connected to my cre- the creator. When, man, how is that even, man, who even knows if, if Jesus is really God? That was me. I was the skeptic. And for me to be on a trip over the last 72 hours with a guy in my community group, even committing to community with other believers, much less a spiritual mentor, is only by an act of God's grace. And so I don't say that to boast about, I say that to boast about my God. And here's what we know to be true. Like if you're a Christian in the room, you were once lost, but now you're found. Like, like you know, you know, at the hardest of hearts, like you know who you were before Christ, Christ found you and he began to change your desires and your wants to be in line with who God is. And so I start there tonight because as we open up the book of John, we're going to be in John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up. We're going to see Jesus finding his first disciples and calling them to follow him. And so it's this idea that, man, every time we tell our story, it's a reminder of God's grace in our life. And so God has rescued us, he saved us, and he's given us a new heart with new desires. And so maybe you're here tonight and be like, I don't, I don't think that's a part of my, my story, Josiah. Well, in the same way as Jesus pursues and finds his first disciples, I believe that God, the God of the universe, brought you here for such a time as tonight to find you. And he's pursuing your heart. And he's going to... Um, bring you to the end of yourself tonight where you're going to bend the knee for the very first time and surrender your life to him. See, Jesus has 12 disciples, and tonight we're going to learn about four of them, Andrew, Simon, Philip, and Nathaniel. And we're going to be in the book of John, like I said, starting in verse 35. And I'm just going to read this passage, and then we're going to walk through it. Verse 35, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. So this was John the Baptist. If you read a few verses before, he was the the guy, the precursor of Christ, and he was just pointing other people to Christ. That's all he was doing is just saying, hey, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the prophet. I am just the one to point others to Christ. And, and, And so he was just saying, hey, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals on this guy named Jesus' feet. And and there's going to be a guy named Jesus who shows up on the scene and he has the same message in in, in the same chapter and he, he, he pushes it down over and over and over again and it's this message, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is going to show up onto the scene. So the next day, this is John, was standing with two of his disciples and he looked and look at what he says. As Jesus walked by, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him, the two disciples that were following John heard him say this. And what did they do? They left to follow John and they went to follow Jesus. They left following John to follow Jesus. Verse 38, Jesus turned and said, or Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, so they didn't answer the question when Jesus asked, what are you seeking? They just said, where are you staying? We'll unpack that here in a minute. He said to them, come and you will see. So they 
came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour, so think around 4 p.m. in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So what did Andrew do? He found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And what did he do? He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Jesus changes his identity. When you were lost and then you began to be found, you have an identity change. This is what Jesus is doing in Simon Peter's life. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Everything that the Old Testament had been pointing to, he's now on the scene. Jesus is here. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. And now Jesus is showing up. And they're looking at him, and look at, what, look, at, look, at what, uh, look at what Nathaniel says. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Nathaniel was a skeptic. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now he's reading his mail. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And look at Nathaniel's response. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Why? Because you read my mail? Jesus answered, because I said to you, you were under the fig tree? Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Verse 51. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So tonight I want to give you four things. Four things on what it looks like to be found in Jesus. If you have come into this place and, and you consider yourself to be a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus, then you have been found by Jesus. So what does it look like to be found by Jesus? Point number one, found people see Jesus. Simple. Found people see Jesus. Look at what John 1, 35 through 37 says. The next day, let's just unpack it from the top. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. This word behold just means to see. He's basically saying, see, the Lamb of God. God is here in the flesh. His name is Jesus. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Found people see Jesus. Like if you've been found by Jesus, you're going to see Jesus. Let me ask you a question. As you look back on the last week of your life, have you seen Jesus? Do you see Jesus as you go about your life. If you're following anything other than Jesus, you're following a counterfeit God and a counterfeit God can't stand under the weight of your glory. This is what I mean. What do I mean by glory? This word glory, it, it's, it's the name of our series and every single week at the porch, we want you to glory, we want you to praise, we want you to exalt Jesus. Not another person, not a place, not a thing. The reality is we're all gonna glory, we're all gonna praise, we're all gonna exalt in something. And so you might ask yourself, well, what, what, how, do I, how do I glory in Jesus? How do, how do I understand more of Jesus? You behold Jesus. This word 
Behold, again, is see, observe, consider. So when John says in verse 36, behold the Lamb of God, he's saying, see Jesus. Observe Jesus. Consider Jesus. Like we don't want you to see the band. We want you to see Jesus through the band. Like, like, we don't want you to see any communicator on this stage, whether it be T.A., myself, Jenny Allen, or anyone that stands up here. We don't want you to glory or praise or exalt or lift us up. We want you to see Jesus through everything we do. And so if we're doing something that hinders your sight from seeing Jesus, then we've missed it. So this is why our mission statement says the porch exists to call any and every young adult to what? To see Jesus and surrender fully to life with him. That's what it's all about. Our goal is to get out of the way and display Jesus in everything we can. We know we're going to glory. We know we're going to praise something. We know we're going to exalt something in our life. What are you exalting in? What are you praising? If you, if you did an inventory of the past week of your life, what would you say you gave your time and attention and resources to? I mean, we, we were created to glory in something. And, and he, here's, what, here's what happens. When you glory in something, you ultimately give credit to and when you ultimately worship that thing. So there's not a communicator on this stage that can stand under the weight of your worship. Why? Because communicators are fallible people. But what, is, what happens, a lot of times we go throughout our week and we exult. We listen to more of communicators of God's word than we do God himself. And so we spend more time getting sound bites or listening to podcasts or listening to a message after message. And those things aren't bad in themselves. Hopefully they point you to Jesus. But if they're not pointing you to open up this book and spend time with Jesus, then we've missed the point. We've missed the point. Found people see Jesus. Sin can't sit under the weight of your worship. Like, like some of you, man, you, you worship yourself. Like I don't care how beautiful, fit, how much kale you eat. Like, like I don't care how much workout you do. Like my wife does pier bar. I love it. It's awesome. I try to do CrossFit. I, I attempt to do CrossFit, right? I, not, not very well, but I'm, I'm trying to get a workout in, and it's usually body weight at best. But I don't care. If you, if you glory in yourself, if you worship yourself, like, go get that, that gain. But if you worship yourself, it'll make you sick. That's my testimony, man. I worshiped, him, I worshiped me. Like, I, I couldn't get out of the way. I wanted life to be about Josiah, and it led me to a place of depression. That's my story, because I wasn't created to worship myself. You worship money, you'll never have enough. Just ask the dude I went on a trip with. Multi-millionaire. And, and he just turned to me and he just said, hey, everything I have is God's. How do you think I should steward this money that he's given me? And we invited his 10-year-old and 8-year-old into the conversation as we're trying to show them that, hey, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I saw this multi-millionaire just say no, 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 no all throughout the weekend. And we're discipling his kids because he knows that money isn't his. Like, do you live with that type of 
loose hands or does your, does your money own you? Do you grip it so, so tight or is it, hey, God, you own it all? You worship sex, it won't ever satisfy. I tried that too. It's a part of my story. It's empty. I was a shell of a man before God found me. On the outside, everybody could think, man, oh, this guy has everything he could ever want. And on the inside, I was dying. Empty. You worship the next thing you're going to buy, the house, the car, vacation. I hope you get all of that. But if you worship it, it won't stand. If you glory and if you exalt it, if you praise it, it won't stand under the weight of your worship. This is what he's getting at. You were created to worship God. Found people see Jesus. And these things can be hindering you from seeing Jesus. These things can blur your vision. Maybe you don't struggle with any of that. Maybe you just, you know, you go throughout your week and, 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 and man, culture, you, you give yourself too much credit. You put too much confidence in the flesh and you're, you're kind of like a pretty good Christian. And, and, and the things I just said, you don't really struggle with that. But you allow culture to influence you. And so you just kind of take a step back and be like, hey, that's the things I'm watching over here, the things I'm listening to. Over here. It's not really affecting me, but it's beginning to hook you. And it's subtle. For some of you, 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 you're going through it. And the question I would ask you, do you depend more on God to get you through it or yourself? Are you self-reliant or dependent on God? Found people see Jesus. So when Jesus showed up on the scene, those who were following John left to follow Jesus. Why? Because they saw Jesus. I wonder if Jesus were to walk into this place tonight, would we even see him? Or would we be too busy following this thing called the porch, which I love. I love this gathering. It's one of my favorite things to do every single week. That's why I took a 6 a.m. flight from Seattle tonight to be back here to preach God's word. But our job is not to make much of the porch. It's to make much of Jesus. What are you glorying in? What are you exalting Point number two, found people follow Jesus. It's simple, man. It, I'm, I'm not going to give you any groundbreaking points tonight that are going to be like, oh, like just blowing your mind. Found people follow Jesus. Jesus is, look, look at what it says here. Jesus is inviting these people into uh, his life to become his disciples. The Greek word for disciples simply means learner. But here we get a glimpse of what Jesus intended for discipleship to look like. Look at verse 38 and 39. Jesus turned and saw them following and said, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to him, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Jesus sees Andrew following him and asks him straight up, what are you seeking? They don't even respond to that question. And I think I'm just, in, you know, I'm, I'm making a calculated assumption. I think they might have been embarrassed to admit to Jesus what they were seeking, why they really wanted to follow him. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, some of us, like we come into this place and, 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 and if I were to ask you, hey, why are you here? What, why do you want to follow Jesus? And some of you, you would, you would give me the church answer. Oh, man, because, you know, I, I really want to just know God more and I want to make much of his name and 
I want, I, want to, I want to learn how to share the gospel with my friends. But deep down inside, there's some other reasons. And, and they're not bad in themselves. But I think sometimes we try to fake God out. It's like, God, I, I really want a spouse. But if I tell you I don't want a spouse, maybe you'll think I'm content. And then if you see that I'm content, maybe you'll give me a spouse. <laughs> I used to do that. So I'm laughing at myself. No lie, I had two girls. Like, like my, my first two children, they're, they're girls. I love them. I call them my muchachicas. <laughs> and and um, I did this with them. Or I did this with God in, in them. I'm like, God, I could take five more girls. But deep down inside, and I could. Like, I, I love my girls. But deep down inside, I wanted a boy. I wanted a boy. But for years, I wouldn't pray and ask for a boy because I wanted God to see that I was content with my girls. And I thought I was faking God out, but God knows you. Did you not see how he read Nathaniel's mail? He literally called Nathaniel out and said, hey, I saw you way before Philip ever called you. You were underneath the fig tree, bro. God knows you. He knows your, 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 your motives. He knows what you're seeking. He knows why you're here at the porch. Some of them are selfish reasons and some of them are good reasons. I'm not saying you're all selfish. <laughs> no, I, and, but here's what I'm saying. Just be... <laughs> but this is what I'm saying. Just be real with God. He can handle it. Be real with God. Tell him everything. Tell him the good reasons and the selfish reasons. He can handle it. And so Jesus sees Andrew, asks him the question. He may be too embarrassed to share what he's really seeking. So instead, Jesus, so instead of Jesus pressing in more and asking these guys why they really wanted to follow him, he just invites them into his life to live life with them. I, I, I love this. Following Jesus meant spending time with them, seeing how he lived. Jesus is inviting them to spend the day with him. Now he's opening up his life and saying, hey, as I do life, come do life with me. This is an amazing picture of discipleship, which I think is just a lost art within the church today. When, when, you know, Jesus is saying, come follow me. And he's saying, hey, come follow me as I do life. He's inviting them into a relationship with these men. Man, I was talking to Uber drivers. Man, we probably had four of them. And every Uber driver had this religion where you would do these five things and that would help you get into heaven. And I said, no, bro, you got it wrong. God is after your heart. He wants to have a relationship with you. Not that you just go and check the box for these five things and automatically you stand before him and you enter heaven because you prayed a certain prayer or you prayed in a certain direction or you read the, the, the sacred book enough or you went to, you know, you know, the, the, the church to repent and you just did all these things and it was stale and it was dead and you could see there was no life there. And I just said, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. He wants to make a way when there was no other way so that you could be made right with him. And he's inviting you into a relationship with him. And as you get to know him, it's not going to feel like duty. It's going to feel like a delight. It's not going to feel like a have to. It's going to feel like a want to. And some of us, we, we, we come into this place and we just have a dead, cold religion and that's how we view God. And I want you to see the personal connection that Jesus is inviting his disciples into tonight. 
And what did the disciples do? They reorient their entire day to spend time with Jesus. God's inviting you into a relationship with him. Would you spend time with him? If there was a written account of my life, I would love for people to read. And this is what I would love for them to read every day. Josiah spent time with Jesus. Every day. And when, when I got done spending time in the typical read God's word, pray, I didn't leave Jesus at the, at the desk that I was at or at the chair I was at or at the front porch that I spent time with him. I took him with me wherever I went. And I had an ongoing dialogue with him. Hey, I'm stepping into this Uber car right now. Give me the words to speak. Give me the questions to ask. Hey, I'm, I'm going on this trip and, and I want to make the most of it. I know there's going to be a lot of distractions and Seattle's big and it's fun. And, but, but here, we want to be a second voice into, into these kids' lives. And so, God, I need you to make sure that my heart is postured in a way where I can truly invest and I don't get distracted. God, would you come with me on those? All the different adventures that God wants me to partake in. So Andrew and his brother Simon Peter spent the day with Jesus. And look at what it leads to. Later on, you see in Mark chapter 1, 16 through 18, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. Who's he? Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Why? Because they had spent time with Jesus. They got to know Jesus. They did the things that Jesus did. They saw what Jesus saw and Jesus uh, invested deeply into them. They, they were taught by Jesus. They broke bread with Jesus. They did life with Jesus. And it led to a career change. It's nuts. Same is true for Levi. Mark 2, 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth or sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. There wasn't just a career change. There was a lifestyle change. He left everything to go and follow Jesus because he spent time with him. Don't miss it. Found people follow Jesus because found people spend time with Jesus. This is the trajectory of each disciple's life. It started with spending time. They learned how to live from him. They enjoyed being with him. They watched him work. They were encouraged and sharpened by him. And they were entrusted with his mission. And so Jesus says, now I can entrust you to go out into the world and change it. And so this, this model of discipleship is what my wife Kathy and I love to do. Like it's just something we have seen early on after I came to know Jesus and I was single for almost the next decade of my life. It's hard season. I feel some of your pain. But, but to be real, when, when I met Kathy, we, we started studying God's word and saying, hey, what do we want our life to be about? Like I don't want to just sit up here and preach the gospel and, and never go and live it with you. I don't want to just be in a Bible study and never go and do the things we're talking about. And so we just said, hey, we're going to invite young adults into our life. Like whatever we do. So what does this look like practically? Sunday night usually. We sit on the couch after putting our three kids to bed. We pull out our calendars. 
And we just said, hey, what, what are the openings? Do you have openings? Do we have openings for dinner? Can we invite some people over for dinner to sit around the table? How about grocery store, Costco runs, soccer practice, getting haircuts, no lie, like getting that fade, man. I invited a young adult and we just got a fade together and we were talking about Jesus sharing the gospel with a guy named Brian, our barber. And, and, and just, get, just doing life with people. And so this is what we've made our life about. And it's a beautiful thing. It's one of the most, it's one of the most joyous things that we do all week is bring people into our life. Because we want our life to be a bigger invitation to young adults seeing and following Jesus. Not just what we say, but what we do. And listen, we don't get it right every time. They see the good, bad, and the ugly with us. They see sometimes when I'm sharp with my kids. Or I have a wrong tone with Kathy. And I, I, have, a, I have the opportunity to say, hey, that was a mess. Will you forgive me? And so I don't just model the good, man. We model it all. They have an open book to our life. We were driving down the road the other day and Kathy said, hey, a young adult reached out to me. And she just asked if, uh, if, if, if she could come over and just watch how we do morning routine once a week. What? Morning routine? Like they want to come over and they want to watch how we get our kids out of bed and how we get them uh, clothed and how we make breakfast and, and how we just go throughout the morning routine and get them ready for school. And, and she said, yeah. I said, why not? And so once a week we have a young adult that just comes over and watches this because she's trying to learn what it looks like to be a mom and, 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 a, and a wife someday. And this is what Jesus did. He invited the disciples into his life. And he didn't expect them to change without a relationship. He said, hey, I'm going to invite you into a relationship. And when you see me and when you see how life is supposed to be done, you're going to be attractive to this Jesus. And so often we just, see, we just hear messages and we never see anything. And our lives speak way louder than our words. Amen. And so what I love to do is, you know, as people are coming over to my life, let me just give you a practical illustration because you're, or a picture, I should say. Uh, this is a picture of my two daughters, and these are two guys I've invested in for some time now. And uh, this is Kyle and, and JT. And I just invite them into my daughter's rooms. I said, hey, you're up, bro. You got about a minute, because that's their attention span, to give them some of the gospel to share a Bible story. And then you got about 20 seconds or less to pray, okay? Because, and you better pray with one eye open because you never know what's going to come flying at you, all right? And, 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 and they just get to see what it looks like to follow Jesus in making disciples of our kids. And so this is what Jesus is inviting you and I into. I love what Dallas Willard said. He just said discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Discipleship is the process of, being, of, of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. And so my question is, why are so many of our trajectories seem so radically different than this? Like many of us, man, we're so busy that we just, as T.A. said last week, we, we glance at Jesus instead of gazing at him. And so often we have this phrase where quality time 
versus quantity time. But what I've learned from TA is he says, hey, quantity time actually leads to quantity time. And so if you are looking for 140 characters or less, you're looking for a soundbite on Instagram or a reel to, to get your feeding when it comes to God's word, it's not enough. And that you glancing at Jesus instead of gazing at him. God wants to speak to you. God's word is God's voice. And he wants to speak to you every single day. I said this earlier, but Jesus is more of a duty than a delight. The result is that following an influencer on Instagram gets more of our attention and affection than following Jesus. We expect his commands to submit to our feelings so we do what feels right instead of what he says is right. And we defend our sin by just saying, hey, this is just what young adults do. But I believe that God is raising up a generation that doesn't create a category of believing in Jesus without following Jesus. I believe that God is grabbing a hold of some hearts tonight that says, hey, I don't want to just believe anymore. I want to follow. And I would just say if it's true belief, it will always lead to following. And so I'm not here to get you to question your salvation. I'm here for you to examine, do you really have true belief? Is your belief in step with your life? See, heaven isn't just full of a bunch of people who are scared of hell. Heaven is full of people who fell in love with Jesus. Believing in Jesus is simply meant to be the beginning of following Jesus. Point number three, lastly, found people, find people to follow Jesus. Found people, find people to follow Jesus. Look at what verse 40 says of John 1. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So what did Andrew do? He went and found his brother and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Found people, find people to follow Jesus. Then Jesus finds Philip. Philip starts following Jesus, and what does he do? Verse 45 through 46, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Do you see it? After Andrew and Philip had been found by Jesus, they go and find people to follow Jesus. Found people always find people. And so in this passage, there's four main ways that people become Christians. So I just want to walk through this um, with you. So for Andrew, it was a leader. It could have been a Bible study leader. It could have been a coach. For Andrew, it was John the Baptist. The guy that was the forerunner to Christ. He was the prereq to Christ. He was pointing people to Jesus. So for you, some of you, you came to know Christ because of a faithful leader in your life. Maybe it was a Bible study leader. Maybe it was the chaplain in your fraternity or your sorority. You know, back 10 years ago in college, remember that college? For some of you, it, it was a faithful pastor that just proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a leader in your life. Maybe it was Young Life. Maybe it was FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so what I want to do in this moment is, if that's you, if, if you came to Christ because of a faithful leader, would you just stand to your feet for a minute? Would you just stand? If you came to Christ because of a faithful leader, look at this. 
Like, look at this room for a second. Like the, the, the people, I see you in the balcony, the people who are standing came to Christ because of a faithful leader. You can be seated. So, so for, that was Andrew's story. For Simon, it was a family member. It was his brother, Andrew. For some of you, that's your story. You grew up in a loving Christian home, a home that had committed parents, that took you to church, that, that um, walked out their faith, that, that, hey, owned their mistakes, owned their sin when they made mistakes. And, and, and so for, for Simon, it was his brother Andrew that led him to Jesus. M maybe that's true for you. And so if that's true for you, would you just stand on your feet? I just want to see if you were led, by, led to Christ by a faithful family member. Wow, that is incredible. Wow. So stay standing for a second. Stay standing for a second. Sometimes Satan, the enemy, will want to shame you and say, you don't have a story. You don't have a story like Josiah shared or, you know, up on stage where it was partying and drinking and, you know, multiple women and all these different things. And, and I don't say that to boast. I say that to make much of God and what he saved me from. And let me tell you, you have an amazing story. Why? Because I can't lead people like you can lead people. You led pe you, maybe you have led people in the past or maybe you're like, I don't really have a story to share. Yes, you do. You can share the story with people who didn't have your story so you can share with them how you fought against those temptations, how you stood the, 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 the temptations of the enemy and the world and your flesh. Maybe that's your story because of faithful parents and family members that led you to Christ at a young age. You can be seated. That was Simon. For Philip, Jesus found him and called him to follow you, follow him. Maybe that's your story. Jesus met you in a tough moment in life, maybe, you know, your story is a lot like mine where you just tried everything underneath the sun and you began to feel empty and unsatisfied and unfulfilled. And so as I got back from that baseball game and I just said, hey, I'm going to take this one off. I'm not going to the party. I looked at myself in the mirror as I've shared this story before and I just said, God, if you're real, will you reveal yourself to me because I'm a shell of a man. Everything on the outside looks good, but I man, I'm dying on the inside. And God began to reveal himself that night and in the days to come that he was truly who he said he was. And he began to save me when I couldn't save myself. He began to extend the grace that I needed so that I wouldn't continue in the shame and the condemnation that the enemy kept putting in my face. And so maybe that's your story. Maybe you resonate with, with, uh, with Philip. And, and you had that moment where you were met by Jesus. If that's you, would you stand? Like you just came to the end of your, end of your rope. Look at this. This is, this is your story. And your story is powerful. And your story is to be shared. You can be seated. And then lastly, for Nathaniel, it was a friend. Philip cared enough to go run to his friend. It had to have been one of his best friends because he ran to Nathaniel and Nathaniel was a skeptic and he just said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And would look at Philip's response, come and see. And so maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you came to Christ because of the faithful friend that feared rejection but pushed against the rejection. 
and said, I'm just going to share, I'm just going to invite them to come to church or the porch on Tuesday night, and you heard the gospel through your friend and through their faithfulness to invite you to a place like this, if that's you, would you stand? That you came to Christ because of a faithful friend. You can be seated. This is how God saved you. Now, how might God use you to save others? You know where to start with your family, with your friends, with those of you, your leaders in your workplace. And there's people following you that you would be bold enough to, you know, not fear rejection, but push against it. And you would just invite people to come and see our great God. Or you would say, hey, can I, just, can I just share with you how God changed my life? He took me out of this crazy place of, of sin and, 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 and emptiness. And, and I'm, I've never been the same. Just think real quick. Does anyone immediately come to mind? Can you envision the day when that person is passionately following Jesus? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone you lead. Some people just need an invitation. I just want to encourage you when Andrew ran to tell his brother that he found the Messiah, he didn't push back against it. Simon Peter came. I, I can't imagine that in this city in Dallas that there's thousands of people that would come because of an invitation. All the cities that are watching, I can't imagine that their people would, would come because of an invitation to come and see our great God. Resistance is okay. Skepticism is okay. Be encouraged by Nathaniel's story. Just like Nathaniel, don't be discouraged by people's initial response or, you know, resistance to skepticism. Someone might tell you no to coming to the porch, but it only takes one yes. Do you understand that? Like it only takes one yes for God to change the trajectory of someone's eternity. Would you push back? Would you push back on... The, the rejection and the fear. I'll end with this story because I think it's one for you to know. And, and sometimes I, I hear message like this and it's like, does that really happen? Like that's, a, that's what comes into my heart because I doubt it. I'm skeptic even when I hear story, you know, people like me preaching the gospel. And it's like, yes, it happens. I was doing young adult ministry in Kansas City and I came across this guy named Michael Pigman. And, and, and Michael, man, I... I, I saw him and, and, man, I went and had a conversation with him and he was the typical partier. He was strung out on drugs and, and, and man, he, on the outside, everything looked cleaned up and, and he had been doing so many drugs. And I just said, hey, do you know there's hope beyond that? Do you, do you, do you truly find rest? Do you truly find satisfaction and fulfillment? He said, no. And I remember him saying, but I don't, I don't want your God. And I just kept pursuing him and inviting him and sharing with him the gospel. And three years after I initially talked to Michael, he came to our young adult gathering in Kansas City and he gave his life to Christ. And three weeks ago, I was in Kansas City and he married a girl about two years ago. I did their wedding and this is a picture of us. We're saying bye to him. I think it's coming. We're saying bye to them. This is Michael and Hannah. We're saying bye to them. Why? Because they're going to the mission field. They're going to the 1040 window where there's limited to no access of the gospel. This guy right here in the middle that's holding my son that used to be strung out on drugs five years ago, gets married two years ago. Now he's surrendering his career, a very lucrative career at that, to go take the gospel 
to a place where they have little to no access of the name of Jesus. That's crazy, y'all. That's crazy. What can you do to help other people follow Jesus? Let me give you six things quickly. Pray fervently for courage, boldness, and opportunities. Pray fervently for courage, boldness, and opportunities. Faithfully invite people to places where you know Jesus will be proclaimed. Give God credit for the work he is doing in your life. Ask good questions. Do you have a faith? This guy at Napa Auto Parts, a young adult, his name was Andrew. I'm like, hey, bro, you know you have a disciple of Jesus' name? He's like, I actually do. I said, do you, have any, do you know Jesus? And he's like, man, I, I don't know, but I've been going to bed every night wondering if I go to heaven or hell. It's like Jesus wanted my battery to go out so I could talk to Andrew, who has a disciple's name, about Jesus. It's all over, y'all. And I just said, hey, do you have a faith? And he says, no, I grew up in the church, but I haven't gone back. And I got to share the gospel, and I said, hey, any Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, come and see our great God. Ask good questions. Is there anything you need that I can ask God to help you with? Where do you find peace and hope in tough times? Number five, start an explorer group. Maybe, maybe some of you would gather some people in your workplace or in your apartment complex and just say, hey, would you like to examine the evidence of Christ and go through the book of John? We've been going through it on Tuesday night at this thing called The Porch. And you'd read through the book of John and meet regularly to talk about it. Number six, live a surrendered life. There's a difference between living a moral life and a surrendered life. God isn't after your morality. That's what I thought for 21 years of my life, almost 22 years of my life, like God was just after my behavior. No, he's after your belief. He's trying to give you a different perspective of what it looks like to live this life. When it comes to your relationships, when it comes to your sex life, when it comes to the way you spend, when it comes to the way you work, the way you commit to things, he's trying to give you a different way, a way that's going to lead to life and not death. He's after your heart. He's not after your behavior. Surrender your life to him. Jim Elliott, a missionary who was killed by a jungle tribe of Indians in Ecuador when he sought to take the gospel to them, said this. Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I, con bring those I, con I contact to decision. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not, let me be a mile post, a, a, a single, excuse me, let me back up. That was just terrible. <laughs> You're like, bro, spit it out. All right. <laughs> Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a mile post on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or the other in facing Christ in me. You know what he's saying? Every person he comes in contact with, may I be a fork in the road for Christ. You want a purpose that goes beyond what you're doing today? Get on mission. Quit making everything about you. Get out there and 
fight against the, the, the I mean, I still have it, man. I, I, I get kind of anxious or, and I'm, I sometimes cower down and I'm just like, God, I'm available. Wherever I'm walking to, God, I'm available. I want to be available for you. Sometimes I miss it. I strike out. But just you putting that in motion, God, I'm available, is a step in the right direction for you to live a life on mission. And you never know who's going to respond. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're more naturally skeptic, that's okay. More of a logical thinker and needs some convincing, just know that Jesus isn't bothered by your questions. He wants to meet you right where you are tonight. He's not bothered by your questions. He wants to say, hey, come and see and examine the evidence. Ask your questions. But look at what Nathaniel did. Even in his skepticism, he went to the effort to see Jesus for himself. Would you do the same tonight? Would you grab a Bible at the Next Steps desk, the welcome desk out there in the town center when you leave here? Would you go to Great Questions? That's going to be right down this hallway. And you can ask whatever you want about faith, about culture, about life. And there's going to be some trusted leaders in that room. That's not going to claim to have it all together. But we'll try to answer your questions biblically and effectively. We welcome skepticism here. As I close, man, I got fired up tonight. Hope you know I love you. Hope you know I love you. There's two people I want to address in the room tonight. That's it. It's two people. The first ones is those of you that are following Jesus. The call for you, like I've shared the last five or ten minutes, is a call to live a life on mission. I had you stand up for a reason. Why? Because you can be that friend that shared with you and you begin to go share with friends that don't know Jesus. You can be that leader that shared with you. You can be that leader. You can be that family member, that faithful family member to go and share with other family members that reject Jesus or, or just kind of lukewarm in their faith. You can be that person tonight. You can. That's the call of God for every single one of us that are following Jesus. And then the other person I want to address in the room tonight is, you know, under the sound of God's voice tonight, not my, not my voice, but the sound of God's voice, you know that you're not following Jesus. And I'll illustrate it like this. About four years ago, a little over four years ago, my family moved and I from Kansas City to Dallas. And it was, it was a hard transition, y'all. Like we moved four times in the first year, couldn't find a house. Ended up living with my in-laws. We got pregnant with our third child. And then on top of that, COVID hit. I was driving 100 miles to work and back, living in Fort Worth. And I almost lost my life, seriously. What do I mean by that? I was leaving the porch one night and I got in my car and I started feeling drowsy, you know, like getting tired, right? And what do you do in that moment? You turn the radio on, you whirl the windows down and you're like, oh, fresh, fresh air, it's gonna w wake me up, you know? And it does for about 10 minutes. And then, and then what happens? You, you start kind of getting drowsy again and then you're just slapping your face, right? <laughs> you ever done that? Just me? I'm literally slapping my face to stay awake. I get to downtown Fort Worth, downtown Fort Worth, and I feel myself doze off. And my car is headed to the guardrail because I wake up because I hit the rumble strips. 
And as I wake up, I'm still kind of groggy and, and not all with it. And then all of a sudden I hit this pothole and it blows the, out the left side of my tires. And I, by God's grace, I'm glad that pothole was there. I, I, I get over into the shoulder right before I hit the guardrail. And I call my wife, Kathy, and I just said, hey, you're not going to believe this. I almost, I almost crashed. And, and if I, if I would have hit that guardrail head on, I think I would be dead. And so called the tow truck. She comes and picks me up. And, and listen, don't miss it. If you're not following Jesus, don't miss it. Here's the transition. I share that with you tonight. Because some of you are going through this thing called life and you're falling asleep at the will and the will is life and you're drowsy and you're, you're not with it altogether and, you're, and, and your vision is being blurred by, by all the things of the world that's being thrown at you. And, and, and listen, you, you, you're, you're, you're on the way headed to destruction. And God has allowed you to hear this message tonight to be a fork in the road and said, hey, if you keep going down that road, if you keep going down that path, the Bible says that there's a way that seems right to man and that way ends in death. And you're driving the will of life and you're drowsy and you're about to crash and burn. And God is allowing you in his sovereignty and in his grace to be a fork for you tonight. And he's asking you to bend the knee, to surrender your life to him. And he is saying, hey, I'm here. I'm here. Come and follow me. Everything you've done, the past, the present, everything you're going to do in the future, I, have, I can wipe clean. I can forgive, not because of who you are, but because of what my son Jesus did on the cross when he hung on that tree. And he died and all of our sin was poured out on him. And he soaked up every last ounce of God's wrath, the wrath that should be poured out on you and me. And not only that, scripture says in history records, on the third day, he bursted forth from the grave to defeat sin and death. And now the ball is in your court. What are you going to do with Jesus? And he's saying, wake up. And he's inviting you into a relationship with him. And my prayer for you tonight is that you would step into that relationship. Let me pray that you would tonight. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you haven't seen Jesus tonight or in the past, my encouragement is that you'd sit with him. Maybe you would go to great questions or come down front. If you've if you have seen Jesus for the first time tonight, would you entrust yourself to him? Would you put all your faith and trust in him, ask, you, ask him to forgive you of your sins? If you've entrusted yourself to him, would you follow him? Would, would, you, would you read about his life in the gospels and ask the spirit of God who's living inside of you to make your life more like his? And if you're following him, would you invite others to do the same? Found people see Jesus. Found people follow Jesus. And found people, find people to follow Jesus. God in heaven, would that be our cry tonight? Would you do your greatest work tonight, Lord, for your glory, our joy, and the world's, world, world's good, excuse me. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's worship.